All right, well, good evening and welcome to another episode of Take the Two. Now, obviously, we're in round 17. Only the eight teams playing this weekend with the final buy round upon us. State of Origins, or sorry, the third State of Origin game is obviously coming up as well. And we may as well start with that, given, you know, that the, I guess there's been a lot of talk about the teams that have been named. And, you know, we know that Nathan Cleary and Jerome Luai are both injured. So obviously it's going to be a, a different halves combination for New South Wales in game three. And I guess at, at the end of the day, it came down to Adam Reynolds or Mitchell Moses. Mitchell Moses got the nod. I guess any Eels fan or any any fan in general would, you know, probably be silly to think that obviously that Moses is going to take the position away from Cleary. But it's certainly, I guess if it does well enough, guys, it's certainly at least an indication that if Cleary was to go down again at some point in future series, that New South Wales can potentially have a halfback who is younger than Reynolds. I would say that Mitch Moses is 26 or 25, 26 years old. To have a halfback that's young enough that can come in and potentially fill in long-term should he need to do so. Yeah, I think so. And that's probably um, what came behind that decision. I think as well, you know, Reynolds has had a go. So has Cody Walker. Hasn't been super successful at ocean level. Um, so I think, you know, the idea of going with someone new who's in good form, um, yeah, a bit younger again, um, was obviously attractive to Freddie as well. Um, I understand why he would have Whiten at 5'8 as well, considering Whiten's already been training with the team. He knows the combinations. He knows the general vibe of the camp. So I understand where the decision came from. Um, I'm intrigued to see how it goes. Um, obviously, Whiten and Moses are quite different Um to Luai and Cleary, um, we were blessed with that combination and they're the best combination in the comp at the moment. So it's going to be um, different, but I'm looking forward to seeing how they go. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how it all plays out. I was a little bit surprised that Freddie Fittler didn't go with a combination of uh, Walker and Reynolds. We've seen in the first two games how effective bringing those club combinations that have been firing through the first half of the season into that Origin Arena can be. But Goes against that with Jack White and he backs in Mitch Moses, who's had a ripping start to the year. 13 try assists in the 16 games so far. Obviously, he didn't stand up uh, last uh, Friday night to seal the win against Penrith, but uh, he still had a pretty good game with his kicking game. I think that that's what he'll be looking to bring to this side. Obviously, White has had his uh, kicking troubles in the past. He's always good for a kick or two out on the full every week. So, mm-hmm. I'm sure Moses will be uh, keen to take most of the kicking control on the side, and then White can just play that eyes up footy as we see. Uh, so often from five-eighths around the way at the moment. Yeah, I guess it's certainly a, you know, Freddie Fittler can be known for his, I guess, unusual selection decisions as we, you know, we sort of seen in the past, particularly the 2020 series. And I mean, I guess as an Eels fan, you know, I'm obviously happy for Moses that he's been selected, but, I'm, you know, I, I wouldn't have been, you know, banged down the door if they'd gone with Walker and Reynolds. I mean, obviously I would have, like they got the Penrith combination, they would have been completely fine had they gone with the South Sydney combination as well. And I guess this is more, you know, it's from a New South Wales perspective, obviously they want to go out and get the clean sweep. Obviously at at this stage, we don't know exactly where the game will be. Obviously there's no confirmation as to what the venue change will be if there is going to be one after all. But I guess for Queensland, obviously, it looks like they've finally made some of the changes that we probably would have been expecting to see in game one. Obviously, Kirk Capewell is back in his rightful position of back row. The cent- the the second centre experiment didn't work quite as well as the first one did. So, obviously, you know, Tabuai Fado gets the nod at centre. 
I guess for Queensland, the big thing is Caelan Ponger is back. I mean, I guess it's it's the dead rubber as well, so it's not really – and you know, all Queensland can get out, of, get out of it is pride. But how do you think the Queensland, I guess, attack more than anything else is going to change with Caelan Ponger in the side of fullback? Well, we saw what Caelan did for Newcastle on the weekend. It was insane. He transformed that team. Um, so I am – I'm actually concerned that Queensland might win this. And I think that, yeah, shifting Capewell out to um, the second row, where he'll probably be marking up Mitchell Moses, um, is a very smart move. Um, I also think, yeah, the new centre has been playing absolutely brilliantly. So I think he's a really good choice as well in the centres. Um, I think they might just click generally as well better with Ponga there. I think we'll see an effect on Munster as well. Um, he's, I guess, the pressure might be taken off him a little bit. He might be able to play what he sees a little bit more, which is what he usually does at Melbourne. So I think there's a real danger that Queensland might win this one. And I think that um, as we've said in past podcasts, Queensland are looking to the future. They look, It's almost like a game one 2022 for them. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see what they bring. Yeah, we pretty much predicted most of these changes last weekend. We obviously uh, spoke about Xavier Coates moving onto the wing permanent with Val Holmes on the other wing, Kyle Felt out of the side. Uh, we've got Cameron Ponger at the back, which will be huge, as you mentioned there, Nat, and just the way that he can spark an attack. And his combination with the hammer, Tabawai Fadu, will be really exciting to watch. Both guys that uh, just bring so much X-factor to the game and can really uh, turn the game on one play, as we saw from Tabawai Fadu at the start of that game with that uh, no try that he had disallowed, but a spectacular effort up against Newcastle. And then in the forwards, good to see Ben Hunt back at hooker and Kurt Capewell, as we mentioned there. Uh, he'll have a much better time in the second row. Not defending Tom Travojevic. It's going to be a big task mm-hmm. for Queensland holding out this New South Wales attack, which has been so potent over the first two games. Even without some of their weapons in clearing Will I see uh, the Blues being too strong with Tedesco and Travojevic leading the way. Yeah, you'd have to imagine so. I mean, I think Certainly, there's plenty of weapons there. And I guess the more interesting part, I mean, or certainly, again, even though I'm an Eels fan, I'm not too fussed about it. But I want to, I guess, get get the, you know, the thoughts from both of you in terms of a lot of people on social media, again, mainly Eels fans, are sort of saying, obviously, that Daniel Saifidi was ruled out with that injury. Payne Haas is going to start. I guess is, is, is someone like Regan, Regan Campbell-Gillard unlucky to miss out? on an origin birth, given that, you know, from, certainly from a, a form, a, a, sorry, a form perspective and a statistical perspective, he's presently in the top five props in the game. I probably wouldn't think so myself. Um, I think, yeah, bringing Finnecane like in will be, um, he'll be quite good there as well. Bringing RP onto the bench as well. They're all very deserving of where they are. Um, so, you know, perhaps, not that Regan Campbell-Gillard hasn't had a bad season. He's been playing well. Um, it might just be a, a case that there's just too many good plays to go around at the moment. I don't think he's really been, like, knocking down the doors in terms of selection. So I, he didn't really come to my mind as something that should be a sure thing. Um, I understand where Eels fans are coming from. I'd probably feel the same if it was someone from Penrith. Um, but I personally don't think he was banging the door down. So, yes, yeah, I think about that one. Yeah, I sort of sit both between both your opinions there. I think that Regan Campbell-Cuard was pretty unlucky to miss out considering the form he's demonstrated this year for Parramatta. I think that his combination with Junior Paulo would have been one to carry forward into the Origin Arena. I think that's something that's underrated in the game is the combination between the forwards. We always speak about the combination between halves, and rightly so, but it's just important to have some good combinations and get your forward line clicking. And I think that they could have been a really good one-two punch there, but at the same time, it's just a matter of who you take out. For me, you it was probably between 
Campbell Gillard and someone like Liam Martin off the bench. Obviously, Martin, he's been playing well for Penrith, but hasn't really had the opportunity given the game time he's received with Capewell and Kickout both there at the club. But uh, another guy I thought probably could have sorted in into that 14 role was Nico Hines. He's obviously in the 19. Obviously, Arpy can cover a number of different positions there, halfback, hooker. Uh, he can fill in at 5'8 as well, but I just thought Nico Hines, that's a classic example of someone banging the door down. He's got the fourth most try assists in the league. He's played most of his games so far off the bench. So I thought that he was probably unlucky to miss out on a spot, but really hard to argue with the 17 that he's, uh, Freddie Fitwell's put up. It's going to be tough to beat. Yeah, it certainly will be. And I was, I was just playing devil's advocate. I mean, I, 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 I kind of lean in your camp as well, Matt. It's not, obviously, you know, Regan Campbell-Gillard's been playing well over the course of the year, but, you know, when when you have that much talent to choose from, unfortunately, someone has to miss out. And I think at the end of the day, you just have to accept the decisions that, that the coach of the Blues has made. And obviously, you know, Freddie Fittler's gone for Dale Finucane. And it's, it's you know, I, I, I don't think, it's really anything worth crying over like mm-hmm. some Eels fans have been doing. Oh, so, no. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, you know, like he's, he's been there before. So, you know, obviously if his chance comes again, you know, he'll obviously take it with both hands, but you know, it, it, it's not something that's going to really affect anybody's life. And mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it just means Campbell Gillard stays in Eels camp and, you know, gets them ready for their round 18 clash. So it's not, you know, anything, that's going to really affect anyone. But I guess, obviously, with Origin on, this is the week that all the Origin stars are going to be out. And I guess for the second time, we're going to be seeing a manly side since his return without Tom Trebojevic. And the last time that was the case, they certainly blew the opposition off the park. They come up against the Canberra side who, let's face it, were not great at all against the Titans. You know, I mean, it's hard to really find too many good things to say about the way Canberra is playing at the moment. I mean, that's obviously a whole range of factors, but you have to imagine even without Tommy Turbo, you know, Manly have shown enough that they should be able to get the job done here in the opening game of the round. I mean, I think so. You know, as much as Turbo has been a huge, um, a huge part of their wins lately, you've also had, uh, you know, other players in great form. Saab is so quick. It's just ridiculous. He makes it look easy. Ruben Garrick's in solid form as well there. Um, even, you know, Kieran Foran also doing quite well there. The whole team is working really cohesively. I think Manly have a really underrated forward pack as well and that they're unscathed through this origin period as well. So I think that they're, they've they've found a way to click without Turbo um, and I expect a pretty big win from them. The Raiders are just hapless at the moment. Watching them on the, on the weekend, it was just like they've just checked out of this season and they're just finished with it because we've seen, you know, a team like Titans who – do not have the world's best defence. We can all agree with that. You know, it was just it was just one-way traffic and we haven't really seen the Titans do that too many times this year. So it's very indicative, I think, of where the Raiders' heads are at and I don't see this being a tough ask at all for Manly this week. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one to watch. Obviously, uh, Canberra bring a lot of starch in their forward pack. They're obviously missing Josh Papali'i this weekend, but they can always trouble a side and really get that game into a grinding affair, which we might see on Thursday night. You'd think that Manly have too much firepower, but we're really yet to see them fire on a really top-tier side uh, without Tommy Turbo there. And we know how poor they were earlier in the season. Obviously, you'd think they'd continue that momentum that they've built over the last six or seven weeks into this clash and get the win. But I'm pretty keen to see how this Raiders outfit goes, uh, backing up from last week's loss. I really think it could possibly click them into gear. They're not too far out of the race for the top eights. 
are pretty remarkable considering the such a poor run they've had over the last 10 weeks. Keen to see how Xavier Savage goes at the back. Obviously, he didn't have the greatest debut, mm-hmm. but comes back into the squad this week and really keen to see how he uh, combines with Matt Frawley and Sam Williams. Obviously, Jack White now the squad this weekend really hurts them, but uh, it's going to be up to guys like Savage and also the experience in the back line of Croker and Rapina to really take the charge alongside Josh Hodgson and really try and spark this Raiders out into it, especially in attack where they failed to register a point last weekend. Yeah, and it wasn't pretty. I, mean, I think that's been, you know, the Raiders' Achilles heel for well, pretty much ever since they made the grand final and lost to the Roosters, sort of that whole thing of, you know, I mean, much like, I guess, that similar to what the Tigers are at, like at times as well, Tom, you, you can either you score all the points in the world, but the defence is bad, or you can't score at all, but your defence is good. And it seems at the moment Canberra is sort of, you know, stuck between a rock and a hard place in that neither is really great at the moment. And, and obviously we saw against the Titans that they struggled to score points. But I, I think the one player at Canberra, I think at the moment that can probably hold their head highest is Corey Haro with Naira. I mean, I think, you know, he certainly joined the Raiders with, I guess, a lot of negativity after that incident uh, with the Bulldogs and the school and, and, and the kids and whatnot. And, and then even before his Raiders career got underway, he had that drink driving charge, was demoted to reserve grade. But I think since he's, since he's come back, he's certainly been one of their best one of their best players across the board, and certainly in, in a team that is experiencing as much upheaval as they have have had, you know, both on the field and off the field. His you know the his consistency, I guess, is something that his teammates can probably look towards and think that's you know we need to emulate the work that he's doing. Yeah, look, Corey played at Penrith for some years, and I think when we um, got rid of him, it was pretty much a salary cap squeeze that. Um, that was a situation we were in. He was quite good. He's, um, especially for a back rower, he's, he's almost kind of like a bit like a Kurt Capewell kind of style player in that he also has um, an ability to really have some flair and attack and he's very reliable, turns up every week. Um, so I'd agree that he's definitely had a good season. Um, he's always turning up um, and, and that's just not something that can be said for all the Raiders right now. So I would hope they would look to him and and, and look at that performance and think that he's something they should should be emulating at the moment. Yeah, certainly. Of course, at Manly, uh, I think the one guy to really watch out for this weekend is going to be Moses Suley. I think Manly's left-edge attack has been absolutely firing over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, Ruben Garrick's been the main beneficiary, while Tom Trebovich has been in the fullback role. Garrick moves back to the custodian role for this weekend, and we see Moses Suley sort onto that left-edge. Canberra's right-edge defence, which will be ma- matching up against the left-edge attack, will be uh, under a lot of fire, and they've truly been their Achilles heel in defence this year so far, so... That's going to be a big ask for the right edge defence of the Raiders to to stand up to this Eagles attack. Yeah, it certainly will be. And I guess a defence that has their work cut out for them as well is going to be the North Queensland Cowboys up against the South Sydney Rabbitohs. And, you know, the Rabbitohs' left edge, as we know, was certainly on song. I mean, Alex Johnson can't stop scoring tries. Cody Walker can't stop assisting tries. And, you know, like the Raiders, like the Titans, like the Knights, Cowboys are sort of still within that range that they can make the finals and, you know, they're getting to that do or die stage. But you'd have to think that given, you know, the, I guess the only jet, well, obviously Damian Cook is a star, but certainly in terms of that left-hand side for Souths, Latrell Mitchell's the only one missing. They've still got two of the, the three pieces there in, or sorry, Dan Gagai's missing too. Uh, but they've still got enough pieces there that you think they should be get, getting the job done against the Cowboys. 
they definitely should get the job um, done against the Cowboys, especially seeing coming off Cowboys performance last week, they would be extremely disappointed with that. Um, you know, and the fact that they have a few players out for origin, they're a bit depleted as well. You, you can't really picture them coming up against someone like Souths and winning. Um, I have to say, I wasn't incredibly impressed with Souths against the Tigers. Um, obviously, they ran away with it in the first half, but they really did take the foot off their pedal. And I think if um, they want to be considered, um, you know, contenders rather than pretenders, as some would say, they really need to stop doing that um, because the the serious teams, you know, you see Melbourne, they just do not take their foot off their pedal. So, you know, I don't think it's um, impossible for the Cowboys to get up here, but I'd be extremely surprised. That's for sure. Yeah, and like the uh, Manly Raiders game before it, I think that the Rabbitohs match up really well uh, with the Cowboys. I think that it's a really, um, a really beneficial matchup for their attack. Obviously, uh, as you mentioned there, Ricky, the Rabbitohs are so left side uh, dependent with that edge of Cody Walker, Dane Gagai, and uh, Alex Johnson. Obviously, no Latrell Mitchell this weekend because of origin, but the Cowboys concede 46% of their tries on the right edge, and uh, it's been shaky this year. Obviously, they're going to be missing some fire there in Hamiso Tabai Fido, and I just don't think that uh, without the Hammer and Val Holmes, of course, they're going to have enough in attack to very match this South lineup. Yeah, certainly. That's two of their greatest attacking outputs. Obviously, a lot of I guess a lot of their, their chances pin on the hopes of, you know, for Drinkwater and Tommy Deedon to step up and even for, for Dejan Arce, who gets gets the nod at fullback, who, you know, traditionally we've, we've seen him coming off the bench or even playing in the halves or a hooker in the past with the Cowboys. So, you know, I, mean, I, I I'll be honest, I don't know too much about him, but it's a big test for him to emulate Val Holmes. And equally, it's going to be a big test for the Bulldogs of the, they were on the receiving end of, an absolute walloping last week against the Manly Seagulls, obviously 66-0. It was not pretty. I guess they're in a bit of luck that they come up against the Roosters side that, you know, there's no James Tedesco. The, obviously, the Roosters have had their own sort of injuries as well, retirements. Angus Crichton is also origin. I guess if you were going to come up against the Roosters at any time, it would be when the origin stars are out. But it's just hard to see the Bulldogs getting the win here, given that, Although they're not, although the effort is there, they just don't have the personnel to, they don't have the personnel to really match against the top sides as we've already seen this year. Yeah, I think what probably doesn't help um, the Bulldogs either is the fact that the Roosters did have that embarrassing defeat last year, uh, last week, and you know, um, as much as um, you know, most didn't expect Roosters to win that game. A lot thought that was going to be a close game, and if the Roosters were going to be serious about contending for the title this that this year, it needed to be a close game, and it was quite the opposite. So um, I think that the Roosters um, would be quite embarrassed in that defeat and looking to make a mark this week. It helps with them having Big Radley come back, of course. Um, so I think he'll be looking to make his own statement, hopefully in a uh, more rule-adapted way than his previous statements that he's made. Um, so I think the Bulldogs are in for a tough a tough time against the Roosters this week. I think they'll be back with a vengeance. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is massive danger signs for the Bulldogs. I think this is... 60 nil written all over it again. I think that you've got Sam Walker there. He's going to have an absolute field day. I think his combination with these wingers, Daniel Tupo and Matt Cavallo, is uh, going to be uh, extremely proficient this weekend. And you've got Joey Manu at the back, arguably the league's best fill-in fullback alongside Nico Hines. Uh, they've both done a tremendous job at the back while Pappenhausen and Tedesco have been out this season. You get Billy Smith back into the centres. It'll be interesting to see how he goes coming off that ACL injury. Uh, he was obviously well in front of a guy like Joseph Sawali this time last year. Sawali wasn't even in the picture, obviously, at the Roosters or even at South. So uh, Billy Smith was a really highly touted player. 
gets a good opportunity to come back in the squad, which is great to see. Victor Radley's back in the side. You look at this Roosters forward pack, and it's really been unchanged, uh, apart from the loss of Angus Crichton. You've still got Rhea Hargraves, Takayaho, Isaac Liu, Satui Chupanua there, Victor Radley now, and a strong bench as well. I think that this could be a really uh, sad game for Bulldogs fans, unfortunately. Yeah, it's not going to be easy, but I guess every team has to go through you know, a string of bad results, and the Bulldogs are certainly in that, I guess, that rebuilding phase. No one likes to use that word, but that's certainly what they're in now. And I guess two teams are certainly are not in that phase. They're both still right in that top eight hunt. Again, like pretty much all any team that is about ninth, ninth to 14th is still still somehow in, in this finals race. And they both lost in... Or they, they both lost last round as to Cronulla Sharks and the New Zealand Warriors. And I guess it's a game that can go either way. I mean, if, it, if you're tipping it, you're not sure because both sides, when they're on, they're on. But when they're off, they can be, like, really off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think both sides would be extremely disappointed with the results last week. You know, both of their matches were definitely grinding matches and both of the teams had a chance to win each of their respective matches. Um, you saw the Warriors play so well in the first half last week and really have the control on the game. And in the last 20 or so minutes, was, I was just thinking, what am I watching? You know, please, someone make it stop. It was such a messy game. Um, and they ended up losing that one in Golden Point, which is always super disappointing for any club. And then the Sharks to come up against Brisbane. And, you know, they were outplayed in that second half in a major way. Brisbane just took control of the game and, and they lost complete control of it. So I think, um, you know, it's an interesting matchup having two teams come off such disappointing weeks. Um, in terms of tipping, I'm literally down the middle. I've got no idea who's going to come up, but I'd probably say the Warriors. I think the Warriors can learn from um, their control issues they had last week and just try and put in an 80-minute performance, which they, you know, sometimes struggle to do. And if they do that, they should they should do enough to get the win. Yeah, I think that both sides fell under a little bit of pressure last weekend from their respective opponents, but it was ultimately just errors that crippled each of them. At really inopportune times, I think that we saw the Sharks there make a break. I think it might have been Jesse Ramian uh, going towards the line and Tyson Gamble uh, hits him and forces the ball free. If they score that, I reckon the Sharks are home in that game and Brisbane are well and truly uh, out of it. And then for the Warriors, obviously, uh, they fell into a number of errors towards that end of the game. Uh, Edward Cozy had a bit of a shocker uh, to get the game into Golden Point and give the Dragons that extra set that they needed for Cody Ramsey to score. And then obviously... Uh, the combination of Cozy and Tuivasa Shek came undone in Golden Point as well, and and the Warriors just kept feeding uh, that Dragons lineup with good attacking position to get into the spot they needed to be to kick that field goal and win the match. I think it's just going to come down to completions this weekend for both sides, winning those critical moments throughout the game. I lean towards Cronulla just because you've got the experience of a guy like Sean Johnson there steering the ship around. I think that they should have won last weekend and they just fell apart. I think the Warriors still got a lot of work to do. In getting back to their best, it's good to see that Reese Walsh is back. I think that he's the one guy that can maybe spark this Warriors lineup and really uh, unsettle the Sharks at Cogra. Yeah, there's certainly something to go their way. And I think as well, what's a big addition uh, for the Warriors, particularly with the loss of Tohu Harris, who I think Phil Gould tweeted that he has an AC joint sprain, so that can be anywhere from two to four weeks. And we know what a workhorse he is. So I think it's a it's a good week for the Warriors to be getting it, to be getting their midseason signing and Matt Lodge obviously you know a lot is said about Matt Lodge and what's happened in the past certainly from the off field perspective but 
when it comes to on the field, whether it was with the Broncos or even now with the Warriors, he's certainly a guy that is just going to put his hand up and make the tough runs when he has to. And I think in the absence of Harris, having a guy like Lodge coming in is certainly going to help propel the Warriors go forward to try and get over the advantage line and really put the pressure on, on that that Sharks defence. Yeah, I think that Matt Lodge will um, be up to make his own statement. I think, obviously, Brisbane haven't been fantastic this year, but I think he was far from their worst player. Um, obviously, it was quite tumultuous, his exit there. He's spoken about it publicly. The club's touched on it as well. So I think um, he'll be appreciative of this new opportunity that the Warriors have given him. I think he'll probably fit quite well in that forward pack as well. Um, so I think he definitely will be a huge boost for the Warriors this week. Yeah, absolutely. And what a forward pack it now is. You've obviously got Adam Fanua Blake and Matt Lodge with big one-two punch, probably the heaviest front row combination in the league at the moment. And then off the bench, you get Kane Evans, Bunty Afoa, Gleason Armour and Ben Murdoch-Masila. That is one serious pack. The one downfall of that, obviously, is going to be their mobility. I think that the Warriors are going to try and crash through the middle. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Wade Egan uh, throw some short balls at the line really try and crash under the sticks, as we've seen the Warriors go through time and time again. That crash ball has become a pet play for them this season. The Sharks are going to take the opposite approach, which they tried to do last week against Brisbane, and it worked for them, especially in the first half, which was to shift the ball, make those big Brisbane forwards tire, and then get them through the middle of the field. I think that uh, with guys like Connor Tracy and Sean Johnson, obviously Tracy gets the start in the sixth jersey this week, which is super exciting. Uh, massive fan of his. I think he's been playing exceptionally out of position mind you, this season. So good to see him get some more ball in his hands this week. And I think his extra mobility could be the key for the Sharks to winning this game. Yeah, it's certainly going to be an interesting game on Sunday and a very interesting round. Obviously, as I said, Origin is around the corner, so there'll be plenty of discussion leading into that. And, of course, there's always off-field news that is happening. And, unfortunately, the off-field news is currently making the headlines. You know, for, for people that... I guess have been living under a rock for lack of a better term. You know, the the St. George Illawarra Dragons are in the hot seat at the moment. Obviously, we know that the players are currently under level four restrictions. They need to stay in their bubble. You know, they need to obey by the you know public health orders, by the restrictions that are in place by the New South Wales government. They didn't do so. And so 13 Dragons were at Paul Vaughan's house, obviously Paul Vaughan included. Essentially, that's led to a total of $305,000 in fines across the 13 players. Obviously, the amounts have varied depending on have they been in trouble for, their salaries, you know, all of those mitigating circumstances. And ultimately, it's led to Paul Vaughan sacking because it's his third strike while at the Dragons. And I guess at the end of the day, guys, Paul Vaughan really has no one but himself to blame. And obviously, he was remorseful on NRL 360 tonight, but... I guess it's very easy, very easy to be to be remorseful in hindsight. Yeah, it's very easy to be remorseful as well when you've got no club for next year and you're probably looking for one. Um, I do not have a lot of patience at all for this situation. Um, I think that we've seen so many people go through um, so many hard times in the past 18 months, losing small businesses, things like that, because they're obeying lockdowns. The fact that these players, um, they already get exemptions to be able to do what they do every day they get to spend all their time with their friends every day um they still get to go to work um and the only thing they were asked to do is just go home and stay within their own places and they couldn't even do that 
for me, the fact that there was cover-ups as well makes it even worse. Um, it's, it's really poorly with me that they tried to cover up that one player. Um, and I think that they have only themselves to blame. I think the NRL did the right thing in coming down as hard as they did because a message needs to be sent out to these players because it's just rank stupidity and it's insensitive and it's entitled. And I do not feel sorry for these people at all. Yeah, absolutely. I think you nailed it there. Stupidity is the word, especially considering Paul Vaughan had another COVID breach last year. It just beggars belief that he would go out and do this again and put the game in jeopardy. And I, I really commend the NRO. I think they've got the punishment just right. Initially, I thought it was a little bit soft on the on the suspensions and the fines, but I think they've, they've got it right, considering that the game has an obligation to the sponsors, it has an obligation to the fans and to the other players who weren't involved as well, you know. There was initially talk that the Dragons would have to forfeit games or lose uh, competition points, but I don't think that does anyone any good. And I think that the Dragons are in enough of a hole now that I think we'd probably see them fade off for the rest of the season. I was running a bit of a ladder predictor last night, and I don't think they're making the top eight. I think we're going to see Cronulla Sharks and Newcastle uh, pick up those last two spots uh, in the top eight with the Gold Coast sneaking up in ninth spot. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out on the field now. And you know, hopefully we can just move past it and get back to the footy from now on. Yeah, you certainly hope so. I mean, I think I think to your point, Nat, as well, is certainly, I guess, the bit that is not not annoying, but certainly more disappointing to see is obviously, you know, as, as I said, the the player that was that was, uh, I guess, almost covered up in it, you know, Jack DeBellin, you know, I guess it's known now, and certainly the last two years for him, it, it, that's I mean, that's a whole different story, as as we all know, and you know, obviously, nothing came of it, but. It still has people offside about just the mere thought of what he has potentially, or not what, or sorry, of what he actually did do. And yeah, I mean, I, I guess to come out and say that I was just walking, I was walking my dog past the house, mm. and then it turns out you're hiding under the bed. I mean, it's not for, for a guy that has just been through two years of what he and people around him have called a personal hell, despite the fact that. He's probably very lucky to to still be playing in the NRL as a result. You'd have to think that common sense for him would prevail and he'd just say, yep, sorry, I was there, I made a mistake, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, he tried to hide the fact that he was there and he's probably lucky that his, or that his suspension, his punishment is not more severe given what he's done in the past. Yeah, I think, you know, the club stuck by him when they weren't obligated to um, for some time and for him to reward for him to not reward them, but to pay them back by embarrassing them to the point where he lied to the club, he lied to the police. He put the club in a situation where they were effectively lying to the police. Um, it's just disgraceful. It's disgraceful. I think he's lucky um, that he didn't get a further punishment. Um, and I think that I've got a lot of opinions on him. So I think I'll still leave it there, but it's just, it's honestly disgraceful. Well, it's, uh, I guess there's always good news on the horizon, thank goodness. And as the NRLW season gets closer the teams are certainly naming the players that are going to have there. And I guess if we start with the Roosters guys, probably the surprise out of that is that we've seen Jess Sergis, who has been at the Dragons for the first three uh, NRLW tournaments. She's gone to the Roosters, and that's going to be a pretty handy centre combination with Isabel Kelly and Sergis herself. Yeah, I think it's an awesome signing. You know, I think everyone was quite surprised about it, given her loyalty to the Dragons so far. But I think it's an awesome signing. I think it's a great challenge for her as well to be going to a new team where she can make new combinations. And I think it puts the Roosters in a really good position to potentially challenge, you know, Brisbane, who would probably be seen as the favourites at the moment for the title. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you had surges to Hannah Southwell, who's uh, was probably expected to sign up there at Newcastle for the new side. Obviously, uh, she comes from Newcastle, but she decided to stay with the Roosters. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with uh, Southwell and Surges' combination. Obviously, they're bringing that uh, straight from the Origin Arena into the NRLW. I thought Southwell was outstanding while she was on the field uh, a couple of weeks ago. She obviously suffered that injury in the first half and was pretty destroyed, but came back in the second half and really had a strong end to the game and was unlucky uh, not to get the Blues home. So I think that the, the Roosters are really shaping up to be one of the teams to beat this year. Yeah, they certainly are. And so just to date, the Roosters have, uh, I think they're the side that has named more of their players so far. So they've got Corbin Baxter, who is not, it was Corbin McGregor, but she's obviously uh, married, so she's taken on the last name of her husband. Shorten Burton, Olivia Higgins, Mai Hilmawana, Keely Joseph, Jocelyn Kelleher, Isabel Kelly, as you mentioned, uh, Olivia Koenig, Yasmin Meeks, Roxette Murdoch, Bridie Parker, Taylor Predevon, Otessa Pooley, Jessica Sturgis, as we said, Hannah Southwell, as you mentioned, Tom, Zahara Tamara and Sarah Tongatuki are back as well. So is uh, Leanne Tufunga is there. And I guess if there's one thing with this Rooster side that I think they're still lacking, obviously they've got spots left to rectify it, is probably a big a big name forward, obviously. You know, we've seen the the Broncos in the past. They had Steph Hancock. You know, they've got Chelsea Lenarduzzi. They had Brittany, uh, not, sorry, Heather Ballinger as well. You know, Rona Peters, Tasman Gray. So these players that are big but mobile forwards in the middle, probably still missing that. But, it, I mean, if they can snag one or two, that's only going to, as Nat said, they could be the, the real contenders alongside Brisbane. Yeah, exactly right. I think, you know, obviously they've still got a few to name and they are probably still doing their signing work, but they're definitely setting the groundwork to make themselves a real team to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think the key for the Roosters is going to be keeping those combinations together for a couple of years. I think we've seen at Brisbane the benefit of really keeping a stable roster together and they've been able to build those combinations over the last couple of years. And I think that's going to be the next challenge for this Roosters lineup is just building that continuity. Obviously, you know, the Broncos have... Uh, signed or I think you know all five previously played with them in the last NLW tournament as well. So they have Chelsea Lenarduzzi, Julia Robinson, Talisha Harden, Lauren Brown, and Shanae Siesiolka, who is of Polish origin. So obviously, you know, any European name can be difficult to pronounce, mm-hmm. but you know, the Broncos have those five and I guess to go with the original five that they've got, that includes Ali Brigginshaw, they're certainly building nicely as well and will rightfully be the favourites to make it four NRLW premierships in a row. Yeah, absolutely. They've obviously built a strong squad um, over the past few years. So the fact they've been able to retain a lot of those names will be a massive boost for them moving forward um, into the competition. And finally, on NRLW, the Eels have named their five signings to date. So they have uh, Batil Vetti Welsh, who's obviously you know played a bit for the Tigers, Tom, or... or Certainly, you'd probably know a bit more about her than we would. She's been playing in the uh, Harvey Norman's Women's Premiership for the Tigers. Samima Taufa, who was previously at the Roosters. They've got Kennedy Cherrington, uh, Philomena Hanisi, and Tiana Penetani. And, you know, look, I mean, I guess as an Eels fan, certainly, you know, I, I can't be too disappointed with any of those five signings. They've certainly, the majority have played for New South Wales as well. They've all played NRLW before, so they're no strangers to it. And I can it, – well, it's not an exclusive. I think it's out there among bits and pieces. But as far as I know, the Eels have also signed Katrina Fippen from the Wentworthville Magpies, uh, Harvey Norman's Premiership side, 
and they've also signed Emily Curtin, who, again, is one that you'd be familiar with, Tom, having played for the Tigers in the Harvey Norman's Women's Premiership. Yeah, certainly. I think that Bo Betty Walsh is probably uh, one of the standout performance, uh, performance a couple of weeks ago in that Women's Origin match. She was outstanding at the back and really almost brought that uh, New South Wales side back into the game uh, on several occasions when it looked like the Maroons were just trying to get over the top. Uh, she's really dynamic at fullback, pretty safe under the high ball as well. So uh, she's a really shrewd pickup for, for the Eels. And it's good to see uh, the Eels uh, stealing a little bit of the Roosters' talent there from previous seasons. It's going to be a really even playing field, I think, once we get into this NRLWC. It's nothing that's just such a positive for the women's game. Yeah, it's super exciting, especially seeing it expand out and, you know, seeing teams like Parramatta have their inaugural team. So it's very exciting for them being able to make some solid signings. And it's just very interesting to see how they're going to play together as a team. Um, so I'm really looking forward to watching this unfold. Yes, certainly plenty more signings for the NRLW side still to come. And there's plenty of female talent out there, that's for sure. And I guess in terms of retaining talent, Manly have certainly done that. They confirmed the re-signing of Brad Parker, Ruben Garrick and Sean Kepi. And, you know, we spoke a lot about Ruben Garrick and how he's been the beneficiary on that left edge with the resurgence of Manly and the play of Tommy Turbo. And, I think, you know, but although Garrick is getting the raps and Tommy Tommy Turbo is getting the raps, you know, guys like Brad Brad Parker and Sean Cappy have certainly done their part as well to help with this this manly rejuvenation. Yeah, I think so for sure. I actually think Brad Parker is quite an underrated player. Um, you know, he always turns up and, and it's just he's very reliable, Mr. Reliable back there. So um, I think it's very good that Manly have been able to make these signings. It's positive to make these signings during the season as well. It gives you a bit of a boost. Um, you know, moving forward, especially given how well they're doing and they could challenge for a top four spot. So um, I think it's very exciting for them moving forward, especially when these players are probably catching, especially Ruben Garrick, probably be catching the eye of other teams at the moment. So it's good for them to lock them up. Yeah, certainly. And I think Ruben Garrick's been one of the standout performers in this competition over the past couple of weeks. Ridiculous to think over the past two weeks, he scored 58 points individually, obviously reached the 30 mark last weekend against the Bulldogs and then, uh, knocked up 28 against the Titans. Obviously, a, a large portion of that is uh, off the back of Tom Trebojevic. But Ruben Garrick, absolutely sensational. He's averaging uh, 144 supercoach points over the last three weeks, 123 over the past five weeks. It's one of the best runs we've seen from a winger in quite some time, uh, really rivaling something we've seen from a guy like Semi Radrundra a couple of years ago, which uh, you'd be familiar with, Ricky. Yeah, good old Sammy. If only he could come back, eh? <laughs> but uh, no, nah, look, it, it doesn't always work like that. But no, nah, yeah, Ruben Garrick, I think as well, is, it's worth noting, equaled the club record for most points in the game with Matthew, uh, alongside Matthew Ridge. He joins, he joins, I guess, you know, fair game in terms of manly personnel. And that, that's a testament to, I guess, Garrick for wanting to improve his game and, you know, capitalising on the opportunities that are given to him by the players around him. And, I, I guess a re-signing that that you that you probably jumped for joy when you saw it mm-hmm. late late this afternoon was James Fisher Harris staying on until the end of 2026 and certainly you know form wise from a statistical perspective you know he, he's certainly right up there when it comes to the the top props in the game at the moment. Yeah, it's super exciting. I'm, I'm really proud of Penrith and the way they've um, done work there on their player retaining over the past few years. Um, they've done a really good job with it. So it's really exciting to see Fish rewarded because he's just someone who turns up every single week. Um, 
you know, I think sometimes he can go onto the radar a little bit even. Um, but if you just watch what he does every week, it's just unbelievable. He's able to just, you know, he takes the momentum by by the scruff of the neck and he's he's a real game changer for us. And um, I'm really excited to see that he's been locked up for such a long time. Um, so hopefully with any luck, we'll see him see his career out at Penrith. Yeah, certainly great re-signing. He's fourth in the comp at the moment for total run metres. Uh, you're looking at the averages. He's the top prop, 10th in the league overall. Uh, his combination with Brian Toto and Dylan Edwards, who are also within the top 10, has been sensational in getting Penrith in the right positions of the field so they can attack. A little bit of a, a niche stat for you, Ricky. Uh, he leads the league also in decoy runs, so uh, he's really playing a, a, an interesting role in this attack. It's not ball's not always going to him, but uh, certainly drawing the attention of the defence and creating the space out wide for uh, guys like Cleary and Willi to hit their wingers and score plenty of tries. Yeah, with prop makes a good decoy run, certainly gets your halves in play, and I know that's something that Junior Paulo does a lot at the Eels as well. And you know they're, you know, big-bodied props. I think now they're becoming, they're becoming known for more than just the battering ram, and and that just signals how the game is changing. And I guess on the flip side, that the 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 Panthers are going to lose a player for or from the 2022 season. Kurt Capel's going to Brisbane. I guess it's not as bad if you didn't have someone like Liam Martin waiting in the wings, but certainly Cape, Kurt Capewell has, I guess, since joining from the Sharks, he's seen a bit of a, a rejuvenation in, in his own form as well and has obviously been able to play well enough to be playing for Queensland for the last couple of seasons. Yeah, definitely. You know, admittedly, when we signed Kurt Capewell, I wasn't, I had not really watched him play that much. I wasn't, he wasn't a signing that you jumped for joy with, but now he's become exactly that for Brisbane. So that's really, really exciting for him and his career development over the past few years at Penrith. And, you know, obviously, given our success over the past two years, we're not going to be lucky enough to keep everybody and it's something you have to accept. And for me, knowing that Capewell is from Queensland and, and I think he'll prosper, um, at a team like Brisbane, you know, they're a young team just like we are. So I think we'll slot in well there. Um, he'll be close to home. And I think that he's been able to be a bit of a marquee signing for them. So for him, um, it's a really, really good move. I'll be very sad to see him go, but hopefully we can let him go on a premiership. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really solid signing for Brisbane. Uh, he's really going to provide them with a little bit of starch in that second row, which has been uh, quite fluid over the past year and a half, really. Obviously, Tavita Pangai Jr. is going to be leaving the club and, uh, he's quite a volatile player, so just to replace him with someone like Capewell, who just provides so much stability, is going to be a great thing for Brisbane. I know that Ben Eichen said it was one of the first uh, priorities moving up there in his head of football role that he wanted to get the Capewell signing completed. And uh, as much as we've spoken about him in terms of how much he struggled in the Origin Arena, he's certainly uh, shown no signs of weakness in the NRL arena, and I think that he's going to be a, a great signing for them up there, returning home, obviously, to Queensland. Yes, certainly is obviously the return home would, would have no doubt been a big factor for Kurt Capewell. And I guess another guy, Tom, you know, we, we've spoken a lot about him in the past. I mean, well, probably for the better part of his Titans career, essentially. And obviously you would have seen him at the West Tigers. Corey Thompson has re-signed at the Gold Coast Titans. And, you know, I, I think certainly in my opinion, I think Corey Thompson is one of the more underrated wingers in the league. I mean, you wouldn't think that a guy that is his build is able to generate firstly so much speed and then not only that but just the power and just the strength that he has for for a player who really shouldn't be making the runs and the breaks that he does yeah absolutely no it's pretty astounding the statistics around Corey Thompson's season so far uh, we spoke about James Fisher Harris a minute ago obviously a barnstorming forward but Corey Thompson has him in terms of 
has him covered in terms of average running meters per game. It's quite astounding for a guy of his size, and I think it's a real trend that we're starting to see across the league. Obviously, Brian To'o at Penrith, Roger Tuivasa-Sheck's playing on the wing at the moment at the Warriors before he moves across uh, next season to Rugby Union. We're seeing a lot of shorter wingers, and that really is starting to become a little bit of a trend. It's going to be interesting to see if that continues or whether teams clue up, and we've seen the likes of Xavier Coates and Daniel Tupo rise up and really hit them with some aerial attacks, which I don't think we're seeing enough from sides up against guys like To'o and Corey Thompson. You know, I think I've said before that Corey Thompson is one of my favourite non-Panthers players, and I think it's really good that he's been able to find somewhere where he's even, you know, been able to fit in well with at um, the Titans. So I think it's a really good thing for him, and I'm super excited to see how he goes. Yeah, he's a nugget little player, but that's that's what makes him so lovable in a way. Absolutely. Uh, well, the Roosters also re-signed some players today. Daniel Tupo has stayed on until 2023. And again, another player that we've spoken plenty about in the past, Tom Lindsay Collins, who obviously, you know, uh, injured his ACL, so he won't play for the remainder of this season. And certainly 2020 was Lindsay Collins' year, Tom. You know, impressed on every count for the Roosters, played for Queensland in that winning series and was probably their best player in that series as well. And I guess, you know, certainly, particularly with the rumours of Isaac Liu leaving, opens up that full-time spot to take some more minutes off the bench. And Lindsay Collins looks like he or has proven that he can be that guy and the Roosters will certainly want him to, to show that once again in 2022. Yes, yeah, certainly. Collins has played a massive role for that Roosters side and will continue to play a big role moving forward. Obviously, Jared Rui Hargraves isn't getting any younger. CFC Otake Ajo's had his injury troubles, particularly with his knees over the past couple of years. Victor Radley has always been in trouble with suspension and that looks like it's going to continue with the new rule changes or the new rule interpretation, should I say. And Lindsay Collins is just that man that you can plug in there anywhere in that four-pack. You know he's going to do a job for you. He's so consistent. Uh, along with a guy like Nat Butcher, I think they're a really good one-two combination off the bench. You can start them, play them off the interchange bench. It doesn't really matter. And then obviously Daniel Tupo, he's just such an X factor with his height. I think that earlier in the year, we saw them go away from Tupo a lot when that uh, the Roosters formed that lethal right-hand edge of Tedesco, Kiri, Manu, and uh, Brett Morris there. Now, obviously, Matt, Matt Ikevalu. But I think since uh, the injury to Luke Kiri, they've really gone back to Daniel Tupo a lot more. And I think he's really demonstrated his worth to his Roosters side uh, in the sort of the second half of what we've seen so far this season. I think it's been very obvious, um, I guess, Lindsay Collins' worth in the amount that the Roosters have missed him when he's been gone this year. I think he's been a big gaping hole in their team, him not being there. He's hard to replace. Um, so, I'm, you know, I'm not surprised by that signing, and I think it's a very good one for the Roosters. Yeah, and Tupos is a very reliable player to have on board, so I'm not surprised by that either. It seems that um, Roosters are going safe and conservative for the next few years, potentially. Yeah, if there's anyone that knows how, how to retain talent, it's the Sydney Roosters. And I guess we're going to finish up on something different. I mean, I think it's, it, it, it's certainly worthy of praise for Payne Haas. If you haven't seen it, the Broncos did put up a video of Payne Haas. Obviously, we know he's a workhorse. We know he's going to play for New South Wales in the Origin Origin 3, has played the first two games as well. And I think it, it it's the sort of thing that epitomises those, those one or two players, every club guys that just doesn't matter if it's the first minute or the 80th minute, they put their heart and soul in onto the field. And obviously... The, the, the clip is of Sandy Katoa from the Sharks making a break. Uh, Tessie New is there in cover. Payne Haas comes across, tells Tessie New to stay there at, to watch Katoa while he watches the middle. 
Katoa comes back inside, kicks the ball. Will Kennedy, for all money, has Haas done for speed, but Haas just pumps the legs, jumps up, bats the ball out. Obviously, the Broncos win. They were probably going to win even if the Sharks had have scored, but it just epitomizes, as I said, sort of the play that Haas is, and it's certainly something that for a side that has had a tough year to date, it's the sort of play, sort of player that you can rally around to know that, hey, if I can, if he can do it, so can I. A hundred percent. And if you can get a whole team putting in those one percenters from the beginning to the end of the game, no matter what's at stake, no matter what the score is, you're going to be very successful. So seeing them um, have a player like that doing that and highlighting that is a very smart move from Brisbane as well. So I think that's awesome. I love to see that type of play. You know, it's one that we've seen, you know, Brian Tuo in origin, you know, his little try saver at the end as well. Doesn't matter that you're up 26-0, you still defend as if it's a draw. So I think um, it's really, really good to see that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, those attitude players um, are definitely players that I, I love to see. You know, they, he's obviously very naturally talented, but I would definitely rather a play with a fantastic, never say die attitude um, any day of the week over someone with pure natural talent. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's a great sign for Brisbane, especially considering the cultural issues that they've demonstrated over the past year and a half. I know a lot of people are saying might be a turning point for the club and fingers crossed for Brisbane fans that things do start to turn around. Personally, I think they've still got a little bit of a way to go, but uh, things are certainly starting to to turn around and uh, fingers crossed for Brisbane fans. It won't be too long before they're back competitive against those top sides in the league. Well, that wraps it up for another week of the Take the Two podcast. Just As I said, just the four games this week, we should be entertaining. Origin is going to be on next Wednesday, but there'll be plenty of time to discuss that a day out before the game itself next week. And we'll be here, as always, to dissect the action that comes from round 17.